Cinebuds receives support from Associated Bank. Cinebuds, Cinebuds, two buddies talking about cinema. I'm Dory Zori with Radio Milwaukee. And I'm Christopher Pollard from Milwaukee Film. And together we are Cinebuds. That's right. And today we are talking about the new documentary that you can find on Netflix, The Greatest Night in Pop. One, two. We are the world. We are the children. The greatest artists of a generation came together to save some lives. Must be in a dream, huh? Hello, hello. But we only had one night to get this right. Let's get this party started. I received this call from Herbalafante, and he wants to do some kind of a song for famine relief in Africa. The Greatest Night in Pop, new documentary, all about the recording and organizing and everything leading up to we are the world. Yeah, from the group USA for Africa. We all remember that 1985 jam, but I had no idea how it was recorded. I just knew that there was a ton of people that I loved back in the 80s in it. Um, it was a follow-up to the British Band-Aid group that got together to make a song to help feed African children. Um, do they know it's Christmas? Yes. And they, America and Americans thought, you know what? We could do something too. We should have black people raising money for Africa. Yeah. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Thank you, Harry Belafonte. Yeah. Quincy Jones, Harry Belafonte, Lionel Richie, Richie. and to a degree, Stevie Wonder, I believe. Um, Kind of. He kind of came of, in at the end, but more Michael end. Jackson, really. That's true. Yeah. They were the, they were really the f- initial force behind getting about 40 pretty big huge stars at the in the 80s at the time with a few outliers that I can't wait to talk about like who, who who's that in there what's going on who, who's that person <laughs> who yeah. left halfway through the recording yeah that's right we'll dish about that and there's one in there who is, I think isn't traditionally considered a musician but mm. we can talk about them yeah I would like to know uh, why that soul man was in the group <laughs> yeah, very strange <laughs> but it was very interesting uh, to see how they led up to it and see the impact it had but the best part is to just to see it in action. You see the behind the scenes footage. Oh, yeah. So we'll talk about that and all the cool convos and clashes that happened in our podcast. So stick around. We're going to get into it when we get back. Hey, Wisconsin foodies. This is Tariq Moody of Radio Milwaukee. Join Milwaukee Magazine's food writer Ann Christensen and myself every Friday morning at 8 a.m. for This Bites, Milwaukee's longest-running culinary podcast. We talk about everything from new restaurants, pop-ups, cookbooks, events, and even an occasional interview with a local chef. Head over to RadioMilwaukee.org slash ThisBites or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, Greatest Night in Pop. The first thing that caught my attention that I did not know is um, the time frame of when Quincy and Harry Belafonte started thinking about this idea, I would believe was like right a couple weeks after um, the release of the Band-Aid single. So it was early December and they needed to get as many people together as they could. And so this all happened after the AMAs, American yeah. Music Awards, because that's when most of their wish list was in L.A. Yeah. So they could all go to A&M Studios. So this all happened 
11 p.m. after the awards and wrapped up at like 8 in the yeah, morning. Yeah, all through this all was recorded in the middle of the night after a huge musical event. In, uh, yeah, that's wild. Which is wild that Lionel Richie was hosting. Not only did he host the AMAs that night, he won a bunch of awards. He might have performed. So that yeah, dude. He performed, he performed twice. Yeah, was like riding on fumes. But yeah. what a wonderful project. Um, and it, he is the main talking head that you get to hear from, yeah. although there were others um, giving their recollections of what it was like back then. Um, Bruce Springsteen, Kenny Loggins. Yeah. What other talking heads were there? Um, Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper, yeah, which I can't wait to talk about her. Some background on the song is um, there was a huge famine in Ethiopia mm-hmm. and thousands were dying. Now, this is happening in a couple different places in Africa. Why This is why there's a couple different benefits. Um, and the issue was becoming coming to the forefront for a lot of people and they decided to do something about it. And they called up all of their famous friends. Like, right. And- when you look back, here's the thing to really keep in mind. When you're looking back now and seeing the lineup then, even even from this perspective, how many years later? Three decades. 50, 30, uh, <laughs> good. I'm glad it's only 30. How dare you I'm 50 glad, years ago? <laughs> I always assume I'm older, uh, older than I am. It's still impressive. Yes. But even if you dig in on some of the ones maybe you're not familiar with, you have to understand at the time that they were pulled into this, mm-hmm. they were huge. Many of them continue to be, but some at the time were like, this was their peak. Well, as Quincy Jones produced this project, it really was, I think, a lot to say about Quincy. He, everyone respected him at that time. It didn't matter if you're a country or rock or pop or soul or rap, like everyone loved Quincy. And I think he was really the glue that took Harry Belafonte's idea and pulled it together with Lionel Richie um, as the other main dude. Because yeah. apparently everyone loves Lionel. He's like a wonderful human being. Yeah, they describe him as being like keeping, he was the glue. Like he would joke around with people, make people laugh. He'd go, he's being, he was like a really good host. Yeah. Really good host for this. It's really interesting. Uh, so the fir- when I watched like the first, I don't know, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. I was like, well, this seems to be pretty easy. This is like, there's a documentary about something that happened pretty easy. Like, oh yeah, everyone's saying yes. Everyone's just saying yes. And then we get into the meat of it, which, and it was fortuitous that they had it, oh, everyone's coming to the AMAs. So essentially, who's coming to the AMAs? And then we'll just grab them while they're here. That way you don't have to worry about scheduling and like housing and like everyone's just here. But then you realize quickly, rallying 40 superstars right with their own egos there's a scene where they even show quincy jones writes above the door check your egos at the door yes yes and making them you know meld together and you have one shot at this that's where the tension really comes in in the film like you have one shot at making this what song that we know is going to be huge because yeah. history has happened. <laughs> but yeah, watching them wrangle is like challenging. That, yeah, as a person who was producing events here, sometimes that yeah. like was making me anxious just to see all that. There were some stars that they got in that weren't at the AMA. So like Bruce Springsteen was talking about how he had just gotten off his born in the USA tour the night before and flew all the way out there. Um, There were a couple other artists. They flew Dylan out there. Um, But one of the coolest things about this documentary, in the beginning, they showed the writing process of the song itself. Like, how did this song get written? And it really was Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson sitting down. They wanted Stevie Wonder to come write the song. Lionel Richie. 
Or Lionel Richie, yeah, yeah. Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson yeah. Stevie Wonder wasn't returning their calls yet. Right. Um, so they kind of wrote the song together, and it was Michael Jackson, I think, that came up with the We Are the World part. Yeah. So it was kind of neat to see him in the studio kind of humming and singing and kind of putting the song together with um, Lionel Richie and Quincy Jones. Like, thank goodness there was a camera there because otherwise footage like that would it'd yeah. just be a story someone was telling. I know, and you, it's, the beginning of the process is mostly Michael Jackson wanting to show all his animals off to Lionel Richie. Yeah, so very <laughs> distracting. He was saying the first part was like just joking mm-hmm. around and playing around and then Quincy Jones eventually said, oh, we need it in two days. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll just write it. Let's get down to work, Michael. <laughs> Concentrate. Yeah, but the bulk of the film and the f- thing that I was delighted by was to see all the unbelievable footage of filming of them making the song. And you also talked to the vocal arranger. This might sound boring, but they had this guy who's the vocal arranger. And it's just so interesting to know his job was just to listen to all their voices and decide based on the quality and the and the emotion in their voices who to pair them with and what order they should go in because he can just hear that. He can hear, oh, this is a little growly. It would be perfect with Kenny Loggins, which has a higher, prettier t- like. That's just such an interesting job that you just have an ear for them. Yeah, it's like watching someone paint a beautiful portrait and watch it come together. I think that's really cool behind the scenes stuff. Um, If you remember, the music video is all footage from these cameramen that were there that they've cobbled together. And there were all, I remember as a kid, like kind of laughing a little bit because. Like when it, Dil, they had the camera on Dylan, he wasn't really singing and he kind of looked yeah. like he was confused on why he was there. <laughs> and I guess I just want to apologize to <laughs> Dylan because now I know why he kind of looked a little confused and wasn't singing. Yeah. He knew his voice really wasn't part of like the core. Like he didn't want right. to be part of the chorus because he didn't want to ruin anything. And a lot of that footage was him just being in the crowd of people, but it wasn't his turn to sing in yeah. that like key. Right. But they showed him laying down what he did at the end. And like, I thought it was so beautiful. Like he seemed to be struggling a little bit. And then Stevie comes and sits down by yeah. a piano and grabs Dylan. And he's like, Stevie was such a good, did such a good job at like kind of imitating people's voices. Yeah. So Stevie would sing in a Dylan way and then Dylan would copy and yeah. mimic Stevie. And that's how Dylan ended up with his part at the end. That was beautiful to yeah. watch. And also lo- watching Bob Dylan, who's this mysterious, iconic figure, um, one, seeing him a little vulnerable was really interesting. Yeah. And then also seeing him delighted because he's working with Stevie Wonder. Like, oh. he even he has that awe. Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot in this, too, where you see Diana Ross go up to uh, Daryl Hall. Hall and say she's his biggest fan and wants her to sign his. And then they all start signing each other's uh, music sheets. Yeah. Like they're all just fans of each other, which was really interesting. Yeah. Diana Ross breaking that like business part of it and just t- being able to be the first person to talk to another musician about being a fan kind of unlock the doors in the. And they were like getting really tired because it's probably like five or six in the morning and they're still working on parts. And it seemed like because Diana Ross was just being Diana Ross, like it brought a new energy back to the whole group as they started really bonding and talking about how they're fans of each other's music. And so that's so cool to see too. Cindy Lauper, they at one point they called her like, did they call her a problem? What did (laughs) they call her? A disturber? He said we had a couple of, of, uh, 
of, of people who are going to act up. Yeah, yeah, what problem, did that mean? Yeah, problem, problem children. And it wasn't yeah. just her, it was a couple people. But funny enough, then they you see it and it's like, Someone you wouldn't expect, like Al Jarreau, is a little too drunk. Oh, yeah. He kept <laughs> like getting the, bottles actually, of wine. He kept getting bottles of wine because he was celebrating, but he got a little too drunk to record. He did eventually. He did, yeah. But yeah. But and guess what? Mm-hmm. Cindy Lauper nailed it. So nailed it. That was actually one of my favorite parts. Is it's What was really interesting to me is knowing these the work of these people and hearing their songs and kind of taking it for granted. But then you hear them in this like really pared down way where they're mm-hmm. just on headphones and you just hear their voices the quality of all of their voices yeah is startling like just hearing them in this way hearing Cindy Lauper belt that out mm-hmm. was startling and even and even uh, Bruce Springsteen without music you just hear his growl yeah and like no it is on it's on pitch it's not just a growl it's like on pitch it's got some style hearing Michael Jackson who Again, no music, just hearing the quality of his voice. And I think there's somebody in there that said, listening to Michael Jackson, like, sing two feet away from me, absolutely blew my mind, like, hearing the quality of that guy's voice. Yeah, what a special night. I mean, Greatest Night in Pop, what a great title for this film. Um, Because truly, like, not only did the song go on to be incredibly successful and raised... Well, I think I saw the equivalent today would be like $160 million. Jeez, yeah. It kind of sparked, you know, with what Band-Aid did and then um, USA for Africa, We Are the World, led into Farm Aid yeah, yeah. and the other global concerts that really made a difference. Like musicians coming together were able to really make a difference. Yeah. Prince never made it to this recording session, although Sh- uh, Sheila E. was there yeah. calling him in the middle like, dude, you really should have been here. That was a very interesting like subplot. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, is Prince going to show? Mm-hmm. And then Sheila E. like feeling maybe a bit neglected. Maybe she's just a connector to... Mm-hmm. But she was also huge at the time too. Oh, totally. She had just performed at the VMAs as well. So... I mean, it's so fascinating. I mean, for an 80s kid, for sure, this is fascinating to see all these relationships just like pushed in a room. 40 superstars. And then strangely, Dan Aykroyd is there. Yes. (laughs) Why? I mean, Blues Brothers, sure. Yeah. But like Quince, was it Quincy or Lionel that name dropped? We want Dan Aykroyd here. I think it was neither. I think it was one of the other peripheral people who was like maybe like the vocal coach or there was oh, some really? other third person that wasn't like a big superstar. It was like some more, I know Dan Aykroyd. He, he loved Ghostbusters yeah. so much. The good, the thing, and I, you know, God bless Dan Aykroyd. He's not, and I've heard him saying, and he's very passable for the type of right. stuff he does, which is not necessarily perfect singing. It's more comedy, but also whatever. But watching him on camera, mm-hmm. He looked appropriately overwhelmed. Yeah, <laughs> like, if you're going to be included in this, first of all, think who did you sell your soul to? Yeah. And yes, you should look like meek. He seemed pretty self aware that he's like, why am I in this room right yeah. now? Yeah. But also to hear like Huey Lewis's knees were shaking before it was his time just to yeah. because he was in this room of greatness with. Um, singers he admired. I don't know, it's just kind of cool to hear. Yeah. You know, famous pop stars are just like us, K Polly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because we're famous pop stars. <laughs> I was great. The Huey Lewis, when he just like tries his line out in front of like Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, he goes, oh, like something like this. And he does it. And they look at him like, nailed it. Like, 
it's got to be just mind blowing to be like justified by these huge, huge yeah. stars, even though you are yourself one. No doubt. I'm just looking to see here. I feel like um, I know I make I made all these notes and I think I've gotten to all of them. One it of my fascinating. OK, the, my last thing on this is one of my favorite lines that Paul Simon said. I don't know if you remember at some point in the beginning when everyone's gathering Paul Simon, I forgot who he's talking to, but on camera, he said, um, if a bomb lands on this place, John v- John Denver is going to be back on top <laughs> yeah, of the charts. Right. That is a good line. This is really kind of funny. Oh, yeah. And we went to talk about who left, which I thought was fascinating. Oh, yeah. A country dude left. Yeah, it was um, Waylon Jennings was there. He, yeah. And you had to, you had a couple representatives from country. You had Willie Nelson, who did a great job. Mm-hmm. And then you had Waylon Jennings. And there was a moment, and this made me uncomfortable. <laughs> there was a moment where Stevie Wonder is suggesting the idea of putting some Swahili in there. Mm-hmm. Then they realized later, which was kind of funny, that they don't speak Swahili in Ethiopia. which right. So it wouldn't have really made that much sense. But while they're having this discussion, someone overheard Waylon Jennings say, I don't know any good old boy who speaks Swahili. I'm out of here. Yeah. And then you can see him on camera, like literally leaving the risers. Just leaving, just walking out. But that's okay, because you know who stayed? Kenny Rogers. Yeah, yeah, Kenny Rogers. Yeah, another country guy stayed there. Oh, good. So Yeah, it was really great. It was joyful. Again, whether or not you lived through the song in the 80s, I think there was enough fun behind the scenes stuff to watch in here. And if you know, you're too young to relate to this, guess what? You're uh, an older relative would probably love it if you suggested they listen to this podcast yeah, absolutely. and watch <laughs> absolutely. the movie. Absolutely. And if you think we've told all the good stories that you see from the behind the scenes, we've barely scratched the surface. There's so many good nuggets in that bit. So much happens yeah. between 11 p.m. after the American Music Awards and eight in the morning in Hollywood. Let's yeah. just say chicken and waffles happens. Mm, I w- oh. yeah. I, I, I really... wish that was a scratch and sniff part of the movie. <laughs> I was really impressed. There was like a few minutes at the beginning where I was like, I don't know if this is going to be interesting enough. Like it, it all seems to be working out, but then it just the meat of the movie just gets really fascinating. And I had some feels at the end when they're playing the song in the in full at the end over all the great photos. Yeah, I had some feels. It was good. Uh, that's when Mr. Dory Zori walked in the room and said, "You're crying, aren't you?" I'm like, "Uh huh, <laughs> I am." <laughs> yes, I am. And scene. <laughs> and scene. So what else have you been watching? Yeah, let's see what else we've been watching here. I saw a movie recently, and it's actually for uh, a Milwaukee film member screening. So The Crime is Mine is a French film from Francois Ozon. Uh, he did movies like Swimming Pool and Young and Beautiful. He's a big director in France, and we've had a couple of his movies at the fest before. But The Crime is Mine is a comedy um and they were using it as a member screening. Um, so it's about a woman who is, it takes place in like the 30s, I believe. She's uh, an act, up and coming actress, and she goes to a producer's home to audition. And of course, he's all hands. He ends up dead. And they arrest her thinking she did it. You don't know at first if she does it or not, but during the trial, she uses it as an opportunity to show everyone how good of an actress she is. Not that she they, they believe her, but mm-hmm. she puts on such a dramatic show that it actually helps her career. The trial does. The trial. Oh, my she gosh. Gets, and she, and no, this is no spoiler, because this is germane to the film. Uh, she gets off, 
Mm-hmm. And that's what propels her career. And then you then there's like, of course, little twists and turns. But it's a very like very kind of classic farcical kind of comedy. I really liked it, but it should be fun to watch. Subtitles? Yeah. It's a French film and it's got it's got subtitles for sure. Um all his films have a like a little bit of if I, I'm not familiar with him enough to say this, but I think the ones that I've seen always have at least a little bit of satire in them, even Love. if they're very dramatic. Mm-hmm. But this one is a real fun one. Great. And I mean, I feel like that could almost be like ripped from the headlines because there's been so many famous people on trial yeah. and everyone is obsessed with watching. Yeah. And this is funny because it's like she's not famous, but then gets famous oh, nice. because of it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a really, really fun one. Awesome. This uh, weekend we watched Next Goal Wins. Oh, yeah. The like fake documentary that Taika made about the real life story of the American Samoa soccer team who famously lost um, in the World Cup in 2001 a game 30 to 0. <laughs> Although apparently there were like 90 shots on goal and the keeper stopped 60 of them from going (laughs) in. That's very good. But then it kind of, so that's how the Samoa soccer, American Samoa soccer team, that was like their claim to fame. So now this documentary starts in 2014 as they're getting ready for, I think, a World Cup. And they have, um, the owner just really wants to be, they want one goal to be scored. So they hire (laughs) someone um, that's an unlikely soccer coach to get them to just score one goal, just one goal. They don't even have to win the game. But it was really, it was cute. It was like, it wasn't Ted Lasso-y, but it did have like a feel-good moment in it. It had a lot of um, fun characters, like the players. You got to see like their chemistry together and really like it made me want to go visit that country because the American Samoa people have different values. Like they didn't care if they won. They just wanted to have fun. Yeah, that's nice. And it's just a game. And I think <laughs> like I get like that story too. It's just like it kind of felt a little bit like a fable a little bit how yeah. Taika did it. But it's just beautiful. It made me feel good afterwards. I, I'm not going to tell you if they scored a goal or not. Um, you can probably imagine if you know yeah. soccer history. Oh, yeah. You probably know. They. I am not a sport person. Um, but I do like movies like that where they stress the fact that it's also a game and yeah. it's also fun. We don't have to tear up. We don't have to turn this car over right. afterwards. Right. That is nice. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not on the side of most people. I know everybody wants to tear up a car when their <laughs> when their team loses, but <laughs> I just you know it's fun throw throw the ball around. Right, just enjoy <laughs> each other's company and the fact yeah. that you're alive. Um, also, if you get a chance to see this, I also very much loved so um, their pre-game cheer that they did in the beginning it was a little bit of a mess and they were all like some of them didn't even know the chant and then by the end when they were playing this big game you could just see that they had blended together as a team and they really like um, were bonding over their own specific culture and so the cheer from the beginning of the movie and the cheer pre-game cheer at the end of the movie was such a cool representation of the journey that oh, really? the team players <laughs> took. So if you watch that, I'd be curious to know, like if you, cause also the cheer at the end, 
Was I crying a little bit? Yes, I was. <laughs> I think you and I are real easy criers. Why film. isn't Kleenex sponsoring this podcast? Oh, this is a good idea. We or get on that. alternates to Kleenex. We're not That's true. married to Kleenex yeah, brand. Myers brand, uh, <laughs> Kleenex, whatever. <laughs> whatever you got. We need money. Do you, have, Did you ever play sports? I did. I played soccer. You, oh, so you did. The okay. most, yeah, out of anything else. I mean, yeah. From when I was in, I started in junior high all the way through high school. And then I consider bowling a sport that's like my As you should. best and longest sport oh, I've ever really? played is bowling. Yes. Oh, that's impressive. What about you? Nope. No, thank you. That's how I, I met all my best friends, though, in that's good. in school is through sports. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Now, I have no problem with it. We uh, When I was in eighth grade, I was always a very tall, big kid. And uh, the high school wrestling coach came to the eighth grade to scout out who's coming up. Mm-hmm. And he says, overly confident little man, came and sat next to me and he goes, you're going to wrestle for me next year. And I was not overly confident, but I go, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank and you. He, he did not like my response, which was, I would like to be in the plays. <laughs> That's not a direction you're going to care for. Mm-hmm. He goes, you can do both. I go, I, no, thank you. I will say I had Good one you, moment in, in gym class where we had to wrestle it, and I was uh, certain I was just going to give up the mm-hmm. moment. Like I'm just, I just want to get it over with. But then there I had this sudden, sudden urge when we st- blew the whistle, and I just ran at the person mm-hmm. and knocked them down. It's called testosterone. I know, and it's a really ugly thing. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was perfectly willing to lay down and just let it be over. <laughs> And then I was just like slammed into him like, oh, I could do this too. As long as it's over in the same amount of time. Did you apologize after? I don't think so because I think I think I didn't hurt anybody. Mm, That's good. And I think that was the intention is to slam them down and lay on top of them. Nice. That's how I understand wrestling. That was my only highlight of sport. Oh, wrestling. (laughs) And I also refer to it as a low light as well. (laughs) Um, uh, My our our high school soccer team was pretty good when we were in freshmen and we were beating all the other teams until we got into a harder conference but um I had my appendix burst at the end of my freshman year and I missed the last couple games including I think being able to qualify for state or going to state or something I don't know um but now I think of soccer and I think of some of my best friends and good times and also when my appendix almost killed me (laughs) (laughs) these are the best memories of our lives we should do an episode about (laughs) sport An unlikely duo to do sport movies. Oh. I think we would come up with some some real outside-the-box selections. Oh, I already know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, there's like five that already pop into my mind. Stay tuned, everyone, for Cinebuds Does Sports. Yeah. And you know, since we haven't done this episode yet, maybe that's our Instagram question we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be about the movie we talked about, um, The Greatest Night in Pop, or... What sports did you play? Let's do both. We're going to do both. (laughs) Keep an eye out on our Instagram account at Cinebuds Podcast. We're going to ask you a bunch of fun questions soon. Thanks for listening. And big shout out. uh, We couldn't do this podcast without some very special people. Kim Shine, our producer. That's right. And Nooski, who does our wonderful theme song. Thanks to Associated Bank for their financial support of Cinebuds. Absolutely. And to our members, both from Radio Milwaukee and from Milwaukee Film. We could not do this without you. Smooches. Bye. Bye.